everybody to our worship service here this afternoon and to any guests and friends that are coming to, to serve with us today and for all those that are on the live feed. And today we will have uh, Pastor Tim lead our worship service. Good afternoon. What a joy to be with you again today to worship our God together. Uh, please stand if you're able to for our call to worship. Our call to worship for this service is taken from the psalm that we're about to sing together. Uh, psalm 81, uh, verses 1 to 2. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout aloud to the God of Jacob. Begin the music, strike the timbrel, play the melodious harp and lyre. As we come to worship our God together, uh, we come humbly confessing our dependence. Congregation, where does our help come from? Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's uh, sing about our desire to joyfully praise our God uh, with all of our heart and soul with the words of Psalm 81. service right at the very beginning uh, we tune our hearts for worship by reading God's law reminding us of the holy nature of the God we've gathered to worship and also the sinful nature of our hearts and so our need uh, for a savior who can reconcile us to God and teach us to live according to these principles let's keep that in mind as we read God's law from Exodus 20 and God spoke all these words saying I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or daughter, your male servant or female servant, your livestock or the sojourner within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. In response to God's law, Let's continue to sing from Psalm 81 about how uh, this law that God gave us, uh, or this is the law that God gave to us, his already freed people, to guard and to teach us. So Psalm 81, stanzas 5 and 7.
and Father in prayer. Wonderful heavenly God and Father, you are our preserver and our teacher and our liberator. And what a joy that it is for us to live with you and to live for you and to worship you today. Lord, it's a high calling to be one of your freed people. And we simply don't live up to the perfect standards that we just read about in your law. Lord, so often we admit We do wander into evil. We don't listen to your good ways. So often we don't see your law as a gift, but rather as a burden. We read it, and it convicts us. And on its own, it even condemns us before your presence. Lord, we realize we don't love you as we ought to, and we don't love our neighbors as ourselves like we should. We don't live lives worthy of the gospel or of Jesus Christ. Lord, we're so thankful for the God that you are. We're so thankful that you sent your Son to free us, to liberate us, to redeem us. Thank you that in him, for all who believe in him, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because Jesus paid for every one of our failings. Help us now by the power of your word and spirit to love your law once again like we should. May it be sweeter than honey to us and more precious than gold or silver. Help us to seek every opportunity today, this week, throughout our lives, by the power of your spirit, to love your law and obey your law with joy and thankfulness and enthusiasm. Help us to see and seek new ways to praise and glorify you and live lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now as we come to worship you, please receive our worship. May it be pleasing in your ears, but may it be beneficial for us as well. As we turn to your word, we ask that you'll open up our eyes and our hearts to our sin and to your salvation and instruct us in the way that we should go. We pray these things in Jesus' name alone. Amen. For the next three weeks in our first services, we'll be working through uh, the tiny New Testament book of Philemon. And so today we'll just read the first seven verses. That will be our text. Philemon chapter one, or the only chapter, is the first seven verses. Philemon, starting at verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So far the reading of our text for this service. And now let's sing together in response about our desire, our longing to find new ways and opportunities to serve and praise the God who's loved us and redeemed us and saved us. 
We'll do that with the words of Psalm 116, stanzas 7, 9, and 10. service is Philemon, uh, the first seven verses. We always read, already read that together, but uh, maybe consider keeping it open if you have your Bibles with you as we work through the passage. Brothers and sisters, uh, Vinod Kostla, uh, a billionaire and one of the richest men in the world, he once said, any problem is an opportunity, and the bigger the problem, the bigger the opportunity. And if you look around, you can find all sorts of quotes to the same effect. Uh, apparently, that's how uh, the famous Walt Disney lived his life. Uh, he decided to see every problem that came his way as the opportunity to find a solution. He said he decided to see every desert not as a desert, but rather as the opportunity to find an oasis. And clearly for the, some people, this is a, a helpful way to try and look at life. And I don't know about for you, uh, but for me, this seems kind of trite, kind of insincere, and honestly, an exhausting way to, to try and live your life. It feels like self-help, uh, motivational kind of language, and it doesn't really resonate with me. Uh, sometimes problems are they're just problems, aren't they? If you're in the desert and you don't see an opportunity for an oasis, maybe you just need a drink. And maybe uh, I should lighten up a little bit, because there is certainly some truth to this way of thinking. Because maybe not every big problem is a big opportunity, but what we just read together, what we see in this passage uh, by the inspired Apostle Paul, is certainly that he saw at least some big problems as big opportunities. And that's what we'll see in our text today, a great opportunity. And we'll study this in three parts. First, we'll see the problem, and then secondly, the prayer, and then finally, we'll see the potential. The problem, and the prayer, and the potential. To understand uh, this little book of the Bible, it's really important to try and picture the situation uh, that's going on in our minds. Uh, we need to remember that when we read this, we're literally reading someone else's mail. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote to his good friend Philemon uh, many, many years ago. And we need to understand what's going on if we have any hope of understanding the point of this passage. 
So picture it in your mind. The Apostle Paul is in prison, very likely in Rome. And he's writing to one of his dear friends, Philemon. Uh, During his missionary journey, uh, Paul at one point became friends with Philemon. And Philemon was converted to Christianity through Paul. And not just Philemon, but also Aphia and Archippus we read about too. And we don't know for sure, but most commentators believe that Aphia is Philemon's wife. And Archippus is their son. But what we do know is that Philemon became a very active member in the church. In fact, he started hosting the Colossian church in his home. And Paul calls him a fellow worker. A fellow worker in the gospel. His son Archippus, Paul calls in this passage we just read, a fellow soldier. So perhaps Philemon's son may have been an evangelist or a pastor as well. And Paul, uh, through Jesus Christ, or Jesus Christ rather, through Paul, claimed this whole family for himself, and they were faithfully in his service. But all wasn't well in this home. We need to understand that to understand the passage. Philemon and Aphia, like many other people back then, had household slaves. And one of them, we'll read about him more later, his name is, or was, Onesimus. And even though by all accounts, This was a wonderful family, Philemon's was. Onesimus was deeply unhappy. And it seems that one day, he took off. We actually have a hint later on in the book that Onesimus, on his way out of the house, he likely helped himself to some of Philemon and Aphia's stuff, and he stole from them. And so Onesimus, you have to picture the situation. He's on the run. And a slave running away back then in Rome was a capital offense, punishable by the death penalty. And thieves, too, they were punished harshly. And so it seems Anisimus ran to the big city. He ran to Rome. That's the perfect place, you can imagine it, uh, for uh, a slave, a runaway slave, to hide out and try and start a new life on his old master's dime. And what happened while Anisimus was in Rome, we have no idea. But we do know one thing. I love how one commentator puts it. The one thing that we know happened to Onesimus in Rome. As he ran away from his lord and master Philemon, he ran straight into the arms of his lord and master Jesus Christ. This is an amazing story. Somehow, we have no idea how. Onesimus, by God's providence, came and met with the apostle Paul in Rome. And through Paul, he too came to Christ. This reminds me of the story that I shared a number of weeks ago about Charles Spurgeon's conversion. Uh, There, too, by human terms, it it seemed like the day had the wrong weather, and Spurgeon had ended up in the wrong church with the wrong congregation, even with the wrong preacher. And yet it was there that God claimed Charles Spurgeon for himself. Well, here, too, in in this mess of a situation, somehow, some way, God claimed Anisimus for himself. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait until someday in heaven to ask how in the world that possibly happened. How in Rome, the hugest city in the world at that time, he came across Paul who was in prison and he became converted. I have no idea. But praise God for it. And we read Onesimus later on in the passage. He became a wonderful blessing for Paul. He started to actually work with Paul and bless him in his ministry. But Paul knew eventually it was time to make things right. He needed to send Onesimus back to Philemon to repent and to ask for forgiveness and to be reconciled, to make things right with his old master. And here is where the situation gets really, really tense. Onesimus seems to owe Philemon money. He has disrespected and harmed Philemon's reputation when Philemon, it seems, was nothing but good to him. And legally, at this point, Onesimus could be branded on his forehead with a hot iron, marking him an untrustworthy fugitive for the rest of his life. He could be thrown into prison until he paid in full for all of his offenses, and he could even be put to death. Yet Paul tells him he has to go back, and he sends him back, and he sends this letter that we just started reading with him. And it's an important thing to realize that Paul sends two letters at the same time. He sends the letter to Philemon, but also the letter of Colossians. And you can read in Colossians 4 that he sent these two letters with uh, t- 
Tychicus and with uh, Onesimus himself. And he says, Paul does, that they will tell you everything that has taken place here in Rome. And so picture this. Picture Philemon, this uh, master, receiving this letter. And you know, keep in your mind, Onesimus is in town again. And he knows it. Everybody knows it. In fact, perhaps Onesimus is the one who showed up one day on his front doorstep with this letter from Paul in his hand. And he's in the next room as Philemon reads it. This is a huge conflict, a huge problem in this early church. And by God's grace, he's included uh, this small inspired letter from the Apostle Paul. And he teaches us how to address this sort of a, a situation And that's helpful for people like us who live in a a sinful world with a lot of problems and conflicts and lots of tense and difficult situations. Uh, And thankfully, Paul steps into this conflict. And he does so with a rich, and as we'll see in the next few weeks, a gospel-filled letter. And if you look this up, uh, you can compare it to other somewhat similar letters from the same time. And in those comparable letters, you need to try and imagine those as well. Uh, A lot of time is spent talking about the issue what exactly went wrong. A lot of time is spent talking about the offending party, uh, explaining all about their remorse and uh, a plan for reconciliation and restitution of what went wrong. But notice in this letter, Paul takes a radically different approach. He writes to his dear friends Philemon and their family. And note that the only times, uh, uh, this is one of the only times Paul writes a, a letter where he doesn't identify himself as an apostle. Rather, what does Paul call himself to his dear friend at the beginning of this letter? He simply writes, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. He writes to a friend uh, as a humble servant, suffering for Christ's sake, uh, working hard with the opportunity God's given him in prison to help apply the gospel to this situation. You can imagine Philemon, Paul's dear friend, as he reads those words, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, likely has tears in his eyes that his friend is in this situation. And Paul wishes his friend grace and peace, as he always does. We get very familiar with these words. We hear grace and peace at the beginning of each uh, Sunday again. That's Paul's typical way of greeting people. It's a play on the regular Greek greeting uh, that sounded like grace. It reminds Philemon, and it reminds each of us each Sunday, we enter this place by God's grace. Grace and peace. Peace, you might know, is the typical Hebrew greeting, shalom. It reminds us that in Jesus Christ, we enter this place by God's grace, and we have great peace with God and with one another. Paul begins, grace and peace, wishing that to Philemon and his family and his church. And how does he begin to address this harsh conflict, this big issue? But we see how Paul begins. He begins as he often does, with prayer. We'll see that in our second point. Specifically, Paul tells Philemon not just what he's praying now, but actually what he's been praying for a while, what he's been praying always, whenever he remembers Philemon. You can see that he mentions that in verse 4. I can imagine if I were in this situation, maybe you can too, uh, if we had, there's a, a situation with a runaway slave and we're writing to the master, maybe your prayers would be frantic uh, or nervous or something like that. But Paul says something quite radically different. Paul says when he remembers Philemon in his prayer, when he he calls his friend to mind and really thinks about him, what he always says to God, thinking about his friend, is thank you. Doesn't that just give you chills to think about? The Apostle Paul, when he prays for this man and his family, He doesn't just pray frantically about this situation and there's no mention of praying for himself in prison. Instead, what he always does is thank the Lord for this man and for God's work in his life. No doubt he prays for what he remembers about Philemon because he knew him well. But more than that, Paul says, he prays for what he hears and keeps on hearing about Philemon. We read that in verse 5. Paul says, I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus Christ and for all of the saints. And if you study this passage, you'll see that the words in this verse are all bound up uh, with one another, and people try and pull it apart to make more sense of the verse. 
They try and say, okay, he mentions faith. Well, the, the faith is in the Lord Jesus. And he mentions love at the beginning, but it's mostly love for the saints at the end. And they'll say, okay, maybe the love and faith are both for Jesus, but uh, the, the love is also for the saints somehow. But if we're really trying to understand this passage, it's kept best if we realize Paul bound these things together and we keep them bound together. That's Paul's point. What he's thankful for is Philemon has faith and love in the Lord. That is, he trusts Jesus and he loves Jesus and he's absolutely devoted to Jesus Christ. And joined in with that, Philemon is also, of course, devoted to and filled with deep love for all of the saints, for all of the holy ones. That's a deep love for all of Christ's people. Philemon loves Jesus, and so, of course, he has a deep love for all those that Jesus Christ loved enough to wash clean and purify and call saints with his own blood. So it's, possible, it's popular to say that you love Jesus, but you don't like the church. Well, there's none of that here. Jesus loves the church and is devoted to her. And thank God that he does love us and is devoted to us. And so Philemon and all who devote themselves to Christ, they devote themselves to the church, to all the saints as well. And so Paul, thinking about this, Philemon, his love for Jesus Christ, his love for the people of Christ, he can't help, even in this tense situation, to give thanks to God. Thanks to God because he knows that it is God who worked this love and devotion to Christ and to his church within him. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 7, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed for you, uh, through you. rather. And brothers and sisters, I just want to ask, I wonder if it's true for you or if it's true for me, are we praying like this? So often, I don't pray anything like this. But clearly, Paul often did pray like this. Often, we ask God for stuff. Uh, maybe we thank God for the things that he does and the stuff that he gives us. But brothers and sisters, are we often thanking God for the people that he gives us? The people that he's working through? If someone gives you a gift, what would you do? Of course, you, you would thank them. Uh, that's the only right response. Well, isn't it true that one of the greatest gifts that God has given us is other people? If, someone, if God has given us these wonderful gifts, other people like our, our spouse or our kids, maybe teachers or students or our friends and church family, then we should be thanking these people absolutely. But first and foremost, we should be giving credit where it's due. Let's thank God for these gifts, for the way that he's given us other people, for the work he's doing in and through other people. And secondly, I think we can learn from the Apostle Paul. Absolutely thank God first and thank him most often as he clearly does. But then we should tell those people too. That's what Paul does here. Again, picture for a second Philemon opening this letter, this tense situation, and it starts with these words. How do you think Philemon would have felt to get this letter from his good friend Paul in this tense situation, and the, the first thing that he reads about is this. How many of us wouldn't be moved to tears by a letter like this, telling us that constantly they've been thanking God for what they see God doing in us and through us? How strengthened would Philemon have been to have felt this, or to have heard this, to have read this? And how much would he have turned around and praised God for it too? And how much could Sardis Christian Church, how much could we grow, and how much could we be strengthened if we were thanking God for one another constantly in our prayers? And also then, occasionally, talking to one another about it. Not, never flattering, being perfectly honest with our spouse, with our kids, our parents, or friends and church family. And saying, you know, you know what? I thank God for you. Genuinely, I do. Sometimes ministers, when they get together, they, they talk about the feedback that they get on sermons. And one minister I know, uh, he's gotten uh, a bunch of feedback over the years, and some very positive, and some very negative. About one piece of feedback that he got once that sticks out very clearly in his mind. is That one time after a sermon, 
someone ran up, came up to him, and they said to him, Praise God for the message that he gave to me through you. Wow. What an encouraging thing to hear. That's a life-changing kind of thing to hear, isn't it? That God has been using me and that he, he, he sent his message through me. And this message led you to praise God. Can you imagine how that minister felt? And that's the same kind of thing Paul is doing to Philemon here. Not flattering him, but encouraging him, being honest with him. Telling him, you know, I and other people, we see that God is working powerfully in your life. And we thank him for that all the time. Praising him for your love and your devotion to Jesus Christ and to the church. And thanking him that through you, he's filling us with joy, he mentions, comfort. And he's refreshing the hearts of the saints. And that last phrase is a really interesting one, I promise. Refreshing the hearts of the saints. There are two things that are crazy interesting about it. One, Paul almost never uses this word for heart. There's an ordinary word for heart. But here Paul is talking about the inward, deepest parts of your soul. Paul says that he keeps on hearing through Philemon, God has been refreshing the hearts and souls of the saints, their inmost being. Secondly, the other interesting word is refreshed. These saints are being refreshed by God through Philemon. I love how Derek Thomas describes this word refreshed. Think about it this way. After a long, hard day at work, or, or maybe you've been going for, uh, doing errands in the heat, or you've gone for a run, and you come in the front door, and you are absolutely perched. You come into the house, and you head over to the fridge, and you open up the door, and you finally grab what, for hours, you've been longing for, which is a nice, cold drink. And you hold that drink in your hands. Picture holding it in your hands. You feel the cold, and you see water droplets forming on the outside of the bottle. And finally, you get to stop, and you just have a long, much-needed drink, and you're refreshed. There's nothing else quite like that, is there? And uh, Paul is saying that for him and for all the saints, Philemon is like that. Finally, you get to spend some time with his brother, and you leave refreshed. I wonder if you know anybody like that, that you get to spend some time with them, and afterwards, emotionally or spiritually, maybe even physically, you feel rested. You feel refreshed. Uh, I can think of people like that in my life, and I hope you can too. And I feel convicted by this passage. I should go home and I should thank God for people like that. And more than that, we should pray that we might be these kinds of people for others as well. Because these kinds of people, they're amazing to spend time with. And that's because these kind of people, by God's grace, are just a little bit like Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came down to this earth, he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. The word there for rest is the same word as here for refreshment. Jesus is the one that God sent so that we can go to him when we are simply exhausted, when we're famished, when we're burdened, when we're heavy laden by guilt and shame and the sin in the sinful world. And there with Jesus Christ, we'll find exactly what we need, exactly what we can't get anywhere else. We'll find grace and forgiveness and love and we'll find a savior who can finally bring us back to the God who made us to dwell with him. There, with Jesus, we can find rest. We can find the living water that we need to quench the thirst of our souls. And Paul says Philemon is just the kind of the guy who can lead you there. The kind of guy who's always pointing you to Jesus Christ. Pointing you to the gospel message, to the forgiveness, to the new life you have in Christ's name. Philemon is the kind of guy who loves you and who loves Jesus Christ. And if you spend some time with him, you leave refreshed in your soul. Let's pray that we might be like that. And let's thank God for those who are like that. Because with a guy like Philemon, a guy like that, great sinful problems can actually be great promising opportunities. 
And we'll see that just briefly in our third and final point. We've seen the problem, and we've seen the prayer, and now Paul shows us the potential. And we see that primarily in verse 6. There we can see that Paul's not just in his prayer, almost completely in his prayer, but not just in his prayer, giving thanks to God for Philemon's love and devotion to Christ and the church in the past, and the way that he's been bringing joy and comfort and refreshment to the hearts and souls of the saints. But in verse 6, we see that Paul's prayer is that this love and devotion and refreshment might grow. It might continue to increase. Paul says in verse 6, he's praying that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And when we think of sharing your faith, usually we think of sharing our faith with words. We need to realize that's not just what Paul is talking about here. It doesn't just mean speaking about it. It probably does include speaking about Jesus and his perfect work for us and inside of us and the good things we have from him. But it's actually far more than just sharing it with our words. The word for sharing here is a very interesting one. It means sharing your whole life. Often this word here is translated as participation or, or partnership or, or fellowship. It's used repeatedly in the New Testament when people share their money with other Christians. It's that kind of sharing. It's also used to talk about our new shared life, our unity with Jesus Christ himself. That kind of sharing. It's used to describe our new shared life with other believers. That kind of fulsome sharing. It's used famously in Acts 2, verse 42. There we read about the early church. Uh, People are selling their land and they're giving their money to anyone who has needs. And they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to prayers, and devoting themselves also to one another. It's that kind of sharing Paul is talking about here. It involves sharing your faith in your words, certainly, but much more than that, with your whole entire life. With all of your deeds as well. And Paul is praying that Philemon and living out and sharing his faith, that the sharing of his faith might be made effective, that is, that it might be made extremely powerful to help him and to help others come to what Paul calls the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. The word here for full knowledge is as well, it's a word for a deep and true knowledge. So think about the difference between uh, knowing of someone uh, versus actually knowing someone. So, like, do you, for example, know Taylor Swift? I'm willing to bet not. You know of Taylor Swift, for sure. Do you know Taylor Swift? I, I don't think so. Well, that's the difference here. There are some of you here that I do know. And my wife and my kids, I especially know. That's the kind of knowledge Paul is talking about here. He's praying that Philemon and by him, through him, the church family as well, all the saints by the working out and living out of Philemon's faith, that he and his church family might really, truly come to know every good thing they have in Jesus Christ. That it might really become real to him. One pastor compares it to the difference between seeing a flyer for a ski trip in the Alps versus actually being there skiing through the Alps. How does Paul want this to happen? that Philemon might share his faith in this way, not just with his words, but with his deeds, that will make him and everyone around him really, truly, deeply know and experience the good things that they and all Christians have in Jesus Christ, not just as words on a page, but really, really know it with their whole heart and soul. The way that Paul wants Philemon and those around him to come to know these good things in Christ is by forgiving Onesimus. We're going to see that as we read the rest of the letter. Paul is going to ask him to do something absolutely unheard of in this culture. Something others would have seen and thought, that was absolutely crazy. He's going to ask Philemon to share his faith to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just with his words, but live it out in a profound, life-changing way. Remember, Onesimus is a slave. 
He is worse than a slave. He's a fugitive and a thief. And he has wronged Philemon. He owes Philemon. Philemon had every legal right to brand him forever as a fugitive, to condemn him to an entire life of shame whenever anyone looked at his face. Philemon had every right to imprison him until every cent that he stole was paid. He had the right even to put him to death. But Paul prays that this man, Philemon, might see this not as a problem, but as a profound opportunity to share his faith, to live it out in a way that would shock the world, to live out the gospel not just with his words, but with his deeds, by forgiving him, by Philemon bearing the shame himself, bearing the ridicule of having a runaway slave, seeing this worthless slave and embracing him as a brother in Jesus Christ, Paul says later, loving him and being devoted to the slave who had wronged him, uh, like he was devoted to Christ himself and all the other saints as well. And why does Paul ask him to do this? Because this slave is so sorry. Because he has to do this. No. Because it's an opportunity to live out the gospel. To live out his love for Christ and his people. To live how Christ lived for Philemon and for us. To live as Christ lived out his love for you. Christ, we need to remember, he could have abandoned us as well. Christ, he could have cursed us. Christ, he could have looked at our debt and demanded we pay every single penny ourselves and rot until we do. But he didn't. Christ should have, but he didn't cast us out. He, he didn't kill us. Instead, by his own death, he set us free and gave us new life. Christ could have, but he didn't brand us as enemies and criminals forever. Instead, Christ branded us as his dearly beloved brothers and sisters at his own expense and left us free to go. This is a great big problem in this text. But Paul sees it as a great big opportunity to show Christ-like love so that Philemon and his church and we might understand a little bit better what Christ has done for us. A number of years ago, I was reading uh, Parenting, a really good book by Paul Tripp. And in it, he says the same sort of thing. He explains that as parents, we need to remember our kids, but really just as people, we need to remember that everyone else that we meet, every single one of them are sinners. And he explains that we need to learn to recognize uh, opportunities to lead our kids and to lead others to Jesus Christ. Opportunities to share the gospel and to show them the gospel. Sharing it not just with our words, but with our lives. And Paul Tripp just asked in that book about how many times uh, in the past week, how many times in the past month, did we not have the opportunity, we had a gift from God, a chance to show Christ-like patience. But instead, we got horribly angry. How many times could we have shown beautiful gospel, repentance, and humility? But instead, we got defensive and self-righteous. How many times could we have shown Christian, Christ-like wisdom and dependence on God? But instead, we spoke loudly and brashly. To live out the gospel, we need opportunities. We, we need problems to arrive. And we need Christ to work in us by His Spirit so we can respond not as we want to, but as Christ would and did on our behalf. And let's pray that this week coming up, that we might be like Paul here. When someone offends us or bothers us, when someone sins against us, uh, when someone irritates us or angers us, let's pray that we don't just see it as a problem, but we see it as an opportunity, a, a chance uh, to respond out of love and devotion to Christ and all his saints, the same kind of love and devotion that Christ showed to us. And in that way, I suppose that it, it's true, what we heard earlier, that the greater the problem, the greater the opportunity. When we find ourselves or others in the desert, Let's see it as an opportunity to lead one another to the oasis of living water, Jesus Christ, and there to be refreshed. Brothers and sisters, we're going to fail time and time again. It breaks my heart to think of all the opportunities. I could have been patient like Christ, but I wasn't. But thankfully, we have a Savior, Jesus Christ. And let's pray that we might understand the gospel more and share the gospel more with our words 
but with our whole lives, living out the implications so that we might fulfill Paul's prayer here too, that we might come to really know the gospel, not just in our words, but deep within our hearts. Amen. Let's sing together in response, standing as we sing, if we're able to. Uh, Take my life and let it be. The first four stanzas. prayer together. And in our prayer, we'll remember uh, Ellen Vane and George and Corey Gertz as they laid to, to rest a, a mother and sister, Wilmy Vane, this past week. I will also pray for uh, Simon Elkema, or Eichema rather, and also for uh, Lorian Vandergugen as uh, they're moving away uh, for school uh, in the upcoming semester. Let's pray together. Wonderful God, an awesome Heavenly Father. Lord, you know, as you look down on our lives and you know every minute of every day, that in this world we face many problems. Uh, You know and you tell us in your word uh, that the world and our own spirits are groaning out from the effects of sin. Lord, we're so thankful that you see and that you know. And we're thankful that you sent your own Son, Jesus Christ, to lay down his life for us and to make all things new. Lord, whereas we still live in the sinful world, uh, we ask that you'll give us wisdom and that you'll fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you'll fill us with a deep, true knowledge of who you are, who your Son, Jesus Christ, is, what his love and providence and care is for us, and the power of his word and spirit. We ask that you'll take our hands and our voices and our hearts and our souls, and you'll use them as your own tools so that the gospel might be made known more and more by our speaking, of course, but also by our living, by our patience, by our forgiving, so that others might better understand your natures, and so we might continue to grow in our knowledge of all the good things that are ours in Christ Jesus. Lord, we ask that you'll continue to care for and provide for each and every one of us. We think especially uh, this long weekend of those who are away. I know many people are out on vacation, visiting family. We pray that you'll keep them safe and help them to have uh, a refreshing time and come back ready for uh, a new uh, semester, a new school year, a new church season, in a sense. 
Lord, we pray for all those who are on vacation and all those who are celebrating, those celebrating birthdays and anniversaries as well. And we pray that they might just come back uh, refreshed and enjoy these good things and thank you for them. We pray that we might be people just characterized by thankfulness for all the good gifts, all the good times, all the good people that you've blessed us with. Uh, We also pray uh, for those who are mourning. We pray for those mourning loved ones. We think in particular of this week, uh, of those who are mourning the loss of Wilmy Vane. Uh, Lord, we're so thankful when you bless us with uh, good and wonderful and godly people. By all accounts, Wilmy Vane was. Uh, Lord, it's so hard for us uh, when you take them away. We pray that you'll continue to bless Ellen Vane and George and uh, Corey Gertz as they uh, adjust to this new uh, normal of uh, this life down here below, uh, waiting that we might be brought home as you brought Wilmy Vane home. Uh, Lord, we pray that you'll continue to uh, bless this whole church with a deep love for Christ, but also a deep love for one another, especially for those who are mourning, those who are lonely, those who are suffering. Uh, Lord, we also pray for those who are going through different uh, changes, different uh, time periods in their lives. We think especially of those who are starting school, especially starting school further away. Uh, Lord, bless all of the students and all the teachers taking up their tasks again. But we pray in particular today for Simon Eikema and for Lorian Vandergoopden, uh, who have both uh, have or are about to move away for schooling. Uh, Lord, in particular, we ask that you'll bless Simon as he's asked to move his membership uh, to the church closer to where he's going to school. Uh, bless him there and make him a blessing to that church as well. We ask that they and that each of us will make the most of every opportunity that you give us to praise and glorify you, to make you great in our lives. Lord, we're so thankful that our salvation doesn't rest on us, but on the perfect and completed work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. It's in his name alone that we pray these things. Amen. At this point in our worship service, we have the opportunity to give our gifts to the Lord who's given so generously to us. And the collection for today, the collections are for uh, Middle East Reformed Fellowship. Uh, to support their work in spreading the gospel and serving and equipping Reformed churches in the Middle East. And after the collection, then we'll sing together the remaining two stanzas of Take My Life and Let It Be.
Lift up your hearts to the Lord and go home in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.